All righty. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. And I'm your host, Andrew Lassis, with Tech for Accountants, IT specializing in the accounting industry. And with us today is Geraldine Carter, a strategy and mindset coach for solo CPAs with 250000 to $1 million in revenue. Her clients go from being overworked to working the hours they want while maintaining and growing revenue, which kind of sounds like a pipe dream if you ask me, but she seems to be an expert in the field. So how are you? I'm great, Andrew. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for those who aren't aware of you, why don't you give them a little uh, a helicopter view of um, who you are and who you're serving? Sure. So I serve, like you say, solo clients typically in the 250K to 1 million range. And I only work with the overworked ones, right? Because not every CPA is overworked. Not every CPA wants to not be overworked, but I work with the ones who are overworked and they want to get their lives back. And we do it with by understanding who they want to serve, what those people want to buy and how to sell it to them. And we work on disengaging a lot of the low margin clients and saying no and getting out of the people pleasing and all the um, all the small ways that accountants and CPAs get sucked into the busy trap. So I help them get out of the trap because it's entirely possible to work a sane week and make the money that you want to make. And so you had talked about the sort of low margin, high effort clients, and we had discussed a, a little bit. I mean, I have tons of experience with the taking on everybody and hating everything, 14 hour days to make no money. And so I, I completely understand. But, you know, if we, we go back in time and you're talking to me nine years ago, saying, you know, there's another way to do it. And I say, no, you don't understand. My situation is different because I have all these clients, but I hate how much work I have to do. And frankly, I kind of got the, like my clients appreciated it, but didn't exactly value how much I was giving to them. And so kind of what are, what are your thoughts on the low margin, low profit, high maintenance client? Well, there's a business model for everybody. And if you can figure out a way to make the low margin client work for your business, great. But for most CPAs, that's a really hard business model. And it results in what you characterize as the 14-hour day to make it all pencil. And part of the problem is that the generalist thinking that is pervasive in the accounting industry, coupled with the history of hourly billing, leads to this situation where they think they can make money doing anything for anybody because they can just bill for their time. But money is not math. Money is psychology. And money comes from value. And you said it in there when you were like, I do all this work for my clients, but I don't think they value it. So the what the people get into this space where they're doing work that their clients don't value, but they think that it's justified because they're putting in the time. So what we need to do is flip the mindset to understanding what it is that our clients value, because it's not necessarily the work. It's not work that's necessarily required in order to create value. So we need to figure out what clients value and then figure out how to deliver the value. And when you can do that, then if the value that you, in, that you provide increases dramatically, then your prices can follow suit and it's divorced from the amount of time or work that you put in. And that's how your prices go up and you make more, you bring in more revenue without having to work so hard for it. So understanding the products that your customers want and your clients are looking for, I'm assuming it's different for different people. And one of the the concepts that I know you're a big proponent for, and I am as well, is the concept of niching and creating products that your specific client avatar 
exactly what they want and exactly what other people don't want so that you're attracting exactly who you want to work with and repelling the ones that aren't exactly the right fit. So how does someone kind of get into that world of niching if they were interested or why should you even do it? You know, cut off 99% of the potential clients you could work with that you could also help. How do, how do we productize? How do we choose? Where do we start? Yeah. So great question because niching is a process and most people find it to be intimidating, which I think is important to recognize. And it does feel like you're cutting off 99% of your potential revenue, but you cannot boil the ocean with one lighter. You're one person, one business, and you don't need to boil the entire ocean. You just need to boil your own pot. You just need enough clients to make your business run. And there are more than enough clients in whatever country that you're in to make your business viable. So, and when you identify who it is that you want to work with, it becomes much easier to understand their, the value that they're looking for, the problems that they have, and the solution to those problems. So where do you start? The best place to start is inside your existing client roster. If you have been a CPA or an accountant for years, you probably have a handful of clients for whom you really enjoy working. You probably have a certain industry or industries that you like. You, it may already be clear to you that you can't stand e-commerce and inventory, and you don't want to do manufacturing, and you don't want to do nonprofit, but you like professional services. So, Or you could do it the, you know, the flip side. You might really like manufacturing and not like professional services. It's a process of elimination to start. So just start cutting out the things that you know you don't like, and you keep trimming, trimming, trimming off the edges, the things that uh, as you go down, if you imagine a funnel, you just keep trimming, trimming, trimming off the clients that don't seem like a fit. And you keep focusing on the clients for whom you're getting great results, who really respond to your work, who appreciate your value and so on. So it's a process that goes in layers. And most of my clients start out with something like professional services in the whatever revenue range, six and seven figures or seven and eight figures. And then they narrow down from there. Is it lawyers? Is it architects? Is it engineers? Is it creatives and photographers, website designers? And they're like, no, 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 I can't really handle the creative types, but I really like the architect because I, you know, toyed with being a design build person. So I, I get them and I like them. So you just keep going, narrowing down who you want to work with and continuing to narrow your focus, talking to those people, more uh, deepening your understanding of their challenges so that you can provide the best solution. And then you get better and better at becoming more expedient at providing that solution. And so our journey, and I'm just curious of your opinion on the way that we had taken was our first six years, rush tech support, everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we were profitable. It, it worked, right? Like it was a business that everybody, you know, we all made money doing our job and like customers were happy. There, there wasn't really anything bad necessarily about it. And so when we sort of dipped our toes in the water of niching, what we did was we created a DBA and just kind of started from scratch on the DBA while still supporting the original company. Because, I mean, you have a seven-figure company that runs itself. It's pretty hard to just be like, hey, we're going to stop doing that even though it works. Try something else that possibly is going to work better. So we created a DBA and just sort of like built that and then just kind of pointed to like, you want our reputation? Like you can look at Rush until we built up enough of our own so that the company could stand on its own. So that was the direction we took when we did niching. How do you uh, suggest people start down that path? 
So I have clients who have done it both ways, where they have spun off a new company with a new name, new logo, whole thing. And that way has worked. And I have, and I would say that most of my clients, because their names tend to be something that their business name tends to be something associated with their name already. It's more the exception that they have a business name, right? Like Rush Tech. It's usually like first name, last name, comma CPA. So I would say 80% of them simply stick with their name. Or if they do the DBA version, it's like first initial last name instead of, you know, full name. It works either way. I'll talk about for the ones who stay with what they have, what they usually do is basically high grade their best clients, offer them higher level services with more value and start going in that direction. But the mark, but they test it first before the marketing catches up. So they test it, test it, test it, see if they like it, see if the, see if it all pencils. And when they start to see that they like it, then they start to bring their marketing around. Usually that means their website, their social media second. And then over time, they bring out enough clients in their new niche that there becomes a point at which they start disengaging. They progressively disengage clients who are not great fits. And the more clients they bring in who are great fits, the more clients they send a disengagement letter. So usually they transform it by maintaining the one business. But for the ones who do go out and spin off a new brand, new logo, new title, et cetera, that also works. And the methodology is the same. But what you have to be careful of is the tendency to allow your old business to continue to suck you back in because they have this brand new thing over here that seems all shiny, but in air quotes, they can never get to it because the old business is still taking up too much of their time. So that's when, so when people have that question, that's the story that I tell them and, you know, they can decide they both work. You just need to watch out for not being able to give your new business enough sunlight to grow. That's a really good way of putting it. I think our situation was more of like writing is on the wall that everything we're doing with the everything for everyone, it's not going to last forever. Like we still have a couple years left of doing it, how we're doing it, but just, I mean, we had four consecutive years of 50% gross of the prior year. And, you know, you can blame anything you want. I mean, I take the responsibility at the end of the day, but it's, it was easier to just basically like jump ship. And just be like, we've got this thing that's on autopilot mm -hmm. and slowly not going to keep going the direction that we want it to go in the last four years have confirmed that story. And, you know, we were talking with like business brokers and people were approaching us for sales of the company. And I recall one of them, I was, I was at a meeting with a girl and, and she, we had never really discussed like what the final price would be. It's just sort of like EBITDA, like multiplier and stuff. And I remember she had said, she was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I think this deal is a done deal. It's going to work unless you wanted something absorbent, like $300,000. And in my head, we were selling it for like 3 million. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, like if, cause like th this company is not really worth anything. You know, you guys are like dying like the last four years <laughs> in a row, like. I mean, yeah, you have customers and like you could, you know, run like a win back campaign and get like a short bump, but like the company's not that valuable. And like that stung yeah. so much. And that was right around the time when we really started focusing on the niching. And now like, if you're listening to this last December, we did double what you were willing to offer us in just December. Take that. Ah. 
But I mean, she was right though. Like it wasn't as valuable as I had wanted it to be. So it was, it was easier for us to sort of throw away the old thing, like leave it on autopilot and let the people that autopilot run it just sort of be there while everyone else migrates. And it wasn't, it was a throttle. It wasn't just an overnight, like now it's all accountants and, you know, drop the other thing. The other thing supported us yep. until, until we didn't need to. So you had mentioned, you know, sending clients the disengagement letter. I know on my side, it sounds wonderful. Like get rid of this client. That's a headache, but also it's like, that's revenue. So how do we, how do we get out of the, yeah, that's revenue. And obviously like the, well, it opens up more time for better clients, higher paying, less stress, you know, let go of the weed, the garden, right? Get the, get the weeds out. Like just because you have weeds in it doesn't mean your gardens. Yes. It's got more stuff in it it's not better yeah how do we how do we get through that mindset of like you can disengage people that are currently giving you money yeah so the mindset piece is the key right because you can look at the numbers you can ask the question yes it's revenue but what is it costing you in terms of opportunity costs what are the actual dollars of clients that you could bring in at higher levels and how many of those clients that you need and most of my clients they know they want to disengage clients and the the revenue fight of yeah but it's revenue it's like a it's just a mirage right and you push against it and it kind of gives pretty quickly and they know that they just it's more emotional getting rid of clients means dealing with yeah but i feel guilty i feel bad these have been loyal clients they got me started you don't remember where you came from I was one of the people who helped you get here. How could you be so thankless? It's facing that down. It's facing down. What if they're going to be upset and they call my office? So we have a script for your front desk. We give them so that you don't have to be the one that says no, because usually your front desk people are plenty happy to see these folks go. And they're like, finally, my boss is sending out these (laughs) disengagement letters. I've got some stories on that. So we give the front desk a nice friendly script. Usually they're all about it so that you actually don't have to field the phone call. Usually those sort of angry phone calls and emails are a fraction of what the CPA has made them up to be in their mind. Anyways, you know, that right there is probably eight emotional, if you will, mindset reasons that we need to address that are the things that are in their way, that that are in the way. But it just sounds so much more logical and dispassionate to say, oh, but the money, not about the money. I think you're right with the money. With like the emotional attachment yeah. Where the the other day, like one of our, I mean, he he was maybe like year three, the company, and yesterday was year nine of our ninth birthday. Hooray, we we did it. Nice so work. Only a handful make it to ten years. So like three hundred sixty four days left to make it. <laughs> then we'll be stay then, strong. Yeah, it gets it gets easy after ten years. I'm sure, right? So that's what I've heard. Yeah, it's all smooth sailing. Right? Everybody's on the beach. Right. So like back then, he was a better client, but like less of the right fit now. And he had given me a a referral of someone that is more like him and not an accountant, not really who we're serving. And, you know, it was a giant headache. It was different than what we usually handle. And it was like, we're fully capable of doing the work. It wasn't a matter of whether or not we have the skill to be able to, to help this person, but the amount of headache it, you know, we have systems in place. And, you know, when you put something in that doesn't fit the system, it's going to cause problems. It's like, oh, well, I need special treatment for this special project 
on a Saturday because I'm busy. And it was just like all this garbage. And and it was like, well, why are we doing this? This person pays three times less and it's not, there's no upside anyway. So when we started letting clients go at first, my texts were like, fire this person, fire this person, this person, they gave me the list. So when you, when you say like your front desk is more than happy, we did ours from an analytical approach of how many tickets they created versus how much they're paying, what we expect to see and where they fall in the, um, in sort of like the range. And, you know, I, I had basically all of our people, they had contracts. And so I'm, I'm pretty staunch on like, if we have a contract, we follow it regardless of how I feel about it. And, you know, what's the point of a contract if you don't follow it? So we were just like, we're not going to be renewing these people. And so I had made the list and updated in the CRM. Like when this person expires, you know, we politely tell them we're no longer offering these services. Like you could get this package. It doesn't really make sense for you, but this is how we do business now. You're, if you don't like that, if that's not the right fit, recommend this person, they're probably a better fit for you. And so we took our list at the time, say maybe 12,000 clients. And, and I was going to like 80, 20 it, but then it was like, are we really going to fire like 2,400 clients? Because so, so then we, we went back to like 96, four, right. And got like the worst 4%. And then this year, when we did it again, we did a 99.6 slash 0.4 and just the worst 0.4%. Because what we found, even though initially it was like, we're just going to be cutting, 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 we had gotten rid of the big headache ones. Like that 96.4, which is an 80-20 of 80-20, those 4% were such, such, such a big headache. Mm -hmm. And with them gone, we tripled our, our revenue last year without increasing headcount. Nice. And so the new clients that we have, they're all the people we want to be working. With. So it was yeah. a lot. It was very different this time. And my, my text that they're sending me, people are like, I know you're, you're running reports based off email address, but this person has like three email addresses. Like you got to add all these together. Like we got to get rid of this one too. So they really liked it. Yeah. I mean, it makes your business so much easier. And just to give listeners some example of what this sounds like for, because for them, because they probably don't have 12,000 clients. They probably have somewhere between 100 and 1,000. So for the CPA who's super duper buried, like underneath a giant snow pile of clients that they just cannot get out of, typically what we do is 15% at a time because it's unnerving. And when you let go of clients, you also have work to do to disengage them. It's not like you just turn off their lights and close the door. You've got to like get them their files the last month, put them like tell them where they're going to be, make, you know, there's residual clean, there's fallout, if you will, that needs to be dealt with. So we don't want to create a giant pile, a tsunami of work for you in disengaging. So we do 15%, we see what happens. Usually they're like, oh my God, I feel so relieved. I had a client let go of two clients just the other day that she had been sort of on the fence about, but knowing they needed to leave. And she DM'd me, it was Friday afternoon. And she said, I sent the letters and I feel so amazing. And I turned off my phone and I walked out the door and I'll deal with the rest on Monday. And that's the feeling that we're going for is the relief from the endless pile of work. So 15% at a time, you see what happens, you deal with the fallout, then you do the next 15%. And most of my clients will let go of their clients between 40 and 60% in batches and phases over 
six to 12 months, just so that, you know, you've got to maintain cash flow. You don't want to blow a hole in the side of your boat. And what happens is that they get freed up enough that they, their head rises above water and they can see the high margin opportunities that they had been unable to see before because they were so buried. So one of my clients said to me that she just got a few new contracts representing almost 40% of her annual revenue from three different clients who were like one-off clients because she had disengaged at least 40% of her client roster. And she said, I've just done my capacity measuring for the year and I have six weeks less of work than I had last year. And my take-home pay is going to be twice as much, right? And it's in the six figures already. Six weeks less of work, twice the take-home pay. So if there's ever an argument for disengaging the wrong kind of clients, I don't know what is. That's not one of them. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like if you make the argument, like you're getting minimum wage at McDonald's, right? And it's like, yeah, but I'm still making money here. I can just get <laughs> another job. And, and it's like, yeah, but then you're, you've got 16 hour days. And yes, like McDonald's is more money than zero. However, you're getting rid of any opportunity for other things because your time is finite, no matter how you look at it. And you can build and scale a company and then you know, replicate yourself, but especially on the smaller level where you're involved with the day to day. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough now I'm at the spot where I don't know a whole lot of my clients on a personal level. And not that it's like, oh, it's great. I, I hate knowing people, but I can see the forest for the trees. And it's like, you know, this person has produced five times as much work as we're wanting to see. And I don't have that emotional attachment of, yeah, but was client number four like they started on the journey with me it used to be me in my living room like i know their kids names and stuff like that it's like you know running a business you could still have relationships you know but it's like being able to look at it through the lens of we're running a business here and yes we get to help people and yes like we get to build relationships as a byproduct of the business but all your relationships don't have to be with just the wrong people. And so we, we had kind of hit on, you know, the getting rid of weeding the garden, getting rid of the not so great clients. What do we do with the good ones? So do you want to keep your good ones or do you want to have only best clients? Because you can keep your good clients, but if you want to have only best clients, then you're looking at still going to your best clients, understanding what it is that they want. What do they want to buy from you? What is the problem that they are really looking to solve? And designing your packages, your services, your products for those people, offering those people your good, better, best that are typically a level above what you're currently giving them or offering them. And then doing, applying the same process, right? So even your good clients, if you have best clients, even your good clients may in time need to find a new home. So it just depends on what kind of business you want to have. And it's really, there's no right or wrong answer for how to run your business. You get to choose. It's just a question of what is the business that you want to have? And then you design it that way. And so as we're, we're approaching, you know, at the time of the recording, tax, uh, the April 15th deadline's right around the corner. So we're in obviously the heat of busy season. So what do accountants need to do to get out of the busy trap? Hmm. Well, a number of things in a very specific order. And one of them is like we've been talking about, disengage what you need to disengage so that you can breathe again. 
because you can't, it's really hard to build a business when you're constantly stressed out and overwhelmed. You don't think as clearly as you need to be. And then you look at your client roster, you, fix, you decide who it is that you want to work with. Who are your people? You ask, what is it that they want to buy from you? And you talk to them about their problems because they don't want to buy accounting and they don't want to buy CAS and they don't care about CAS 2.0. They're looking to have their problems solved. You need to know what that is, and then you've got to figure out how to sell it to them. And one of the places that I think accountants don't give enough attention to is learning how to communicate value. And what they tend to do instead, if a client says no or a prospect says no, is they blame it on the price. Oh, the price is too high. But the other options are that's the wrong buyer for the price or that you didn't do a good job effectively communicating the value. If you can do those things, communicate the value for the right buyer, then your business reaches a new level. So that's the process that we go through in down to 40 hours CPA mastermind, which is the program that I run for accountants and CPAs. And that's what I recommend for people who are in the sort of overworked endless cycle of busy. And how do, how do we start down that path? So we've talked about the disengaging clients and I'd assume that's sort of the, the biggest piece of sort of getting the ball rolling is like, stop hanging on to all the things that are weighing yeah. you down. Give yourself some air and room to breathe. And, you know, I think it's difficult just for people in general to just kind of get over that hump of if I let them go, then they'll be mad at me. And like, they're not that bad, but, you know, I, I run through it still, even without knowing people personally, just seeing their names and you know, I get those thoughts in my head too, but then I come back to you. Remember all those times you talked about that McDonald's analogy? Like this is a McDonald's job. Yes, it's more mm -hmm. than zero, but you could find others. And you know, as the company grows and you have to hire other employees as well, or get newer technology, to be able to keep up with the demand that you have. That's all really expensive. Mm -hmm. So if your capacity per employee is in a better proportion, you're going to be more profitable just as a byproduct of simple math of like revenue per employee. Or really the, the metric that I look at most is like the BS per dollar. Like I think that's more of what everything comes down to. It's just like how much BS and headache do we get from this person versus how much they're paying us. And we had to fire our biggest client of all time not too long ago. And it was there was a whole lot of ugliness attached to it. Just like my next door neighbor. I talk, I probably vent about him more than anybody else. It was a lot of, but he was a firm that was doing as much work. Like we had to do as much work as a firm that had three times the amount of employees that they actually had, but they were paying the, you're my next door neighbor rate. Mm. And so when I tripled his price, he's like, how dare you do that? Like, honestly, you're still getting a steal even at triple the price, you know, it is what it is. And then as soon as they were like, we're done, blah, blah, blah. Everyone on my team was like, thank God, including yeah. me. And you know what? Even with the, the revenue gone, right? We don't even notice. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like <laughs> insignificant in the big picture, but just happier. They're, yeah. Everybody's happier, right? And your staff knows who the crummy clients are. There are two things to pull out in here that I think often get overlooked. And one of them is that the risk of keeping your crummy client is that your other clients suffer and don't get what they need and your best clients leave because you're dragging a crummy client along. 
And the even bigger risk is that one of your staff members leaves because they've had it and you haven't done enough to protect and shield them from crummy clients. And they're like, I'm not putting up with this guy. I've told you 14 times that he's a pain in the rear end and he treats me like crap and you're not protecting me and I don't need this to be my life is facing this jerk client every time, every week. So I'm out of here. And now you have a, you know, high five figure, low fix, six figure staff member that you need to replace first hire, replace and train. It's a huge expense for keeping, for dragging a crummy client along that I think often gets underestimated because you don't see it until it happens. So for listeners, <laughs> your bottom, your whatever you like to call them, unfavorite bad fit clients can find a new place that will be a great fit for them and it doesn't need to be under your roof and your business will be better off. You'll be happier, your staff will be happier and your existing best clients will get better service when you weed your own garden. And at the end of the day, like that's really, people aren't even looking to have more money. It's the things that money buys and that usually will correlate to, to like freedom and happiness. And it's like, well, you're holding on to things that are not making you happy. If it's like, well, why? It's like, well, so I can get, so I can have more money. And it's like, well, what's that going to do? It's like, it's going to be able to buy me happiness. And it's like, you know, you could drop things that don't make you happy also. And that also is right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're holding on to a negative thing. And it's like, what are you going to do? Just keep collecting from them until you're happy and then drop them and then and then be happy because you dropped them. You you're already at the point that you need to be at in order to do it. But I know I know for for myself personally, that was a giant struggle. So that's why I'm like so intrigued on the idea of the disengagement, especially where I can I listen to my team and when they tell me, hey, we should fire this person, just like they wouldn't say it unless, unless it was a big thing. Like when we first did it, I'd get a list every single day from people. One person in particular, he's like, you're firing clients? Fire this one, 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 this one. Like, you know, they all are pretty high payers. He's like, no, 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 but look, and showed me the math and it was like, we're losing money by holding on to them. Like, if you actually dig into the amount of work that goes into it. And I don't know what the number is. I'd probably better off not knowing the number because then I'd like actually probably second guess it and think about it. But I mean, we've, we've let go of thousands of clients now and whatever that makes up in revenue. Like I said, we tripled our gross last year without increasing headcount. Like that doesn't just happen by taking on more and more garbage. It's yeah. Just all of our clients all but a high percentage of our clients are the people that are attracted to the messages that we're conveying and they understand what it is that we offer and it's a good fit with them and like you had mentioned before it it makes price and value it's it's different when okay i need to have surgery it's like yeah but this guy in college will do it for way cheaper it's like but not a surgeon Oh yeah, well, you know, my my uncle, like his kid's friend is going to school for accounting. Like he's gonna do my corporate books. Like, you sure about that? It's like he's really smart, like, but he doesn't know what he's doing either. But you can get past that. And like when people are looking for the specialist and you are the specialist, you know, head to head, a company called Tech for Accountants versus a company called like tech specialist, whatever. It will be a more head-to-head -head competition. Actually, we will be losing 
in every single vertical. Mm-hmm. But accountants would probably look a little deeper and say, that's it's interesting that the line in the sand has been drawn. Tell me more, at least. And then the laundry list of things that are differentiators, just even the questions that are asked in the intake. And we say, like, how many PTINs are in your organization? And their mind is blown into a million pieces and their face melts that we say, how many PTINs do you have? That it's just, why, why is that matter anyway? But the fact that you know that it's like, we know exactly what you need. We know what you've tried. We can explain your problems better than you can. And it makes that connection. And it takes a lot of the back and forth and the, well, I don't like feeling salesy. I don't like strong arming people. Like you will attract people that want exactly what you offer. And not everybody will want that. But the ones that do, usually a really good fit. I mean, the percentage of, eh, don't really like this client as much as some of the other ones that we've run into in the last year. It's the proportion of good clients versus meh. It's it's fantastic. And December next year, when we're putting together the list, it's okay. You know, we just will not renew this and make room for more. And it's like, oh, duh. Like, and now now everyone's happy, right? All all we're looking for at the end of the day. Um, I think that's a good place for us to leave off. Where can people learn more about you? And we're going to have all links to all this in the show notes. Yeah, sure. So remember that money comes from value, right? And if you can remember that instead of thinking that money comes from clients, then your business gets so much easier. So if people want to find out more about me and my work and down to 40 hours CPA Mastermind, they can do it at GeraldineCarter.com. And for those who are interested in a one-page price increase letter or my one-page disengagement letter, they can get those things too at my website. The um, disengagement letter is at forward slash disengage and the price increase letter is at forward slash increase as it's spelled. So you can just go type those things in. You should be able to get there right away. So those are, go get those things so that you can start implementing some of the things that you and I've talked about today because you're worth it. You deserve to have a firm that you enjoy and that's highly profitable and doesn't take over your life. Kind of why people leave public go private anyway, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yep. oh, I hate doing all this work. And it's like, now, <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, I hate doing all this work and I get paid less to do it. Yeah. I have the freedom to work all day and all night. Like, yeah. not quite what you signed up for. Right. The entrepreneur working twice as hard for half the pay just because it's yes. their own different yes. kind of mindset. Well, thank yes. you so Don't much have for being to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was great having you on the show. And until next time, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and share. And Geraldine, it was so great to have you on the show. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me.